What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and all of the above podcast extra. As you know, we like to drop these in between our full episodes. Our full episodes are chock full of dopeness. We we tend to have the uh, the most super dope guests and um, a look at multiple headlines. And that you know, we it's a video format. It lo- looks pretty nice, if I do say so myself. And we drop those on our YouTube channel, as well as wherever you get your podcast. But in between those four episodes, we have these audio-only passing periods, which are much easier to edit and feature just Jeff and myself. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And we take these passing periods to talk about stories that perhaps didn't make it into our most recent full episode. Jeff, it is the last weekend. No, not the last weekend. Second to last weekend of spooky season. And uh, it's hot. It was a very hot week, hot October week out here in the Los Angeles area. How are you doing out here in these um, very warm October streets? Oh, man, I'm doing well, Manuel. I am uh, excited for the upcoming celebration of Halloween out here. I, um, as a relatively new homeowner, this will be the second time. Uh, that I will be giving out candy to all the good children uh, of the community who come by. Last year, I gave out every last piece (laughs) of candy, man. There was one little kid who came up at the end, and I literally had like two little pieces of candy left. They were kind of the scraps, but you know, they were still fine. And uh, he like knocked on the door after I had like brought everything in and closed up shop. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm I'm like, it's done, but I have two pieces of candy left. And I gave him the last two pieces of candy. And um, so my goal this year is yet again to give away all the candy to all the children and uh, to make Manuel's life as a classroom teacher a little bit of a living hell for a week or so after <laughs> Halloween <laughs> with sugar high children running around left and right. Um, Man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I, 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 yeah, that, that's dope. I, I, I remember being a young one and, and trick or treating and being so excited for the houses that, that were, uh, dishing out that good candy, that, uh, high quality name brand stuff, especially. I like that. And I figured as a high school teacher, it wouldn't really affect me so much because these students are way too old to be trick or treating, especially since I have juniors and seniors. But I have come to find out even though I am still firmly in the camp that they are way too old to be out there trying to get candy on Halloween, uh, they very much do spend their Halloween nights, many of them at least, uh, trick-or-treating. A lot of them have younger siblings that they go with, but they themselves also get some candy. And I'm like, you are, you you work part-time at Jack in the Box. What you doing going out there trick-or-treating and getting some candy, man? You are... (laughs) Firmly too old to be out there doing that. But they're like, no, Russell, we ain't too old. We ain't too old. So, yeah, I do deal with the post-Halloween sugar high passing candy, candy wrappers uh, showing up on my floor and me having to remind people about keeping a tidy classroom. So, yeah, I am um, looking forward to that, I suppose. Um, What, two weeks from now? Ten days from now? Yeah, something like that. So, cool, cool. And, um... Also, I do want to take a quick moment to shout out um, the runners out there. I I have been um, privy to some commentary about folks who listen while they run, while they work out. In particular, a um, Los Angeles Unified Teacher of the Year 
out there by uh, by the name of Megan Cyril, who uh, says that Jeff, she told us our our passing periods, our our episodes, our, our AOTA um, episodes, whether they be full or passing periods, that they somehow it's not somehow, but sometimes power her through her run. So if you are listening to this, any of you runners out there, whether you are Megan or not, and you are out there running. Keep on running. I can tell you I am not spending my weekend out there running. And uh, shout out to all the runners out there because, um, yeah, that's a life. That's a life. So, you know, I appreciate y'all listening as you run. Keep running. Keep running. That's my motivation for you. Keep going. Keep going. Um, Jeff, what do you have to yeah. say for the runners out there? That's a great great little nugget. Yeah. Well, that's a great little nugget. I Shout out to Megan Surreal. I did not know that about her. So I, I appreciate that. And... Um, you know, I would say that I am jealous of the runners out there, man. Well, as a person whose joints are a hot mess and uh, I, I have virtually no cartilage left uh, in my in my left knee, which is causing me a whole host of problems. Uh, thankfully, I just got a, let's say, a treatment on uh, Friday that uh, has me experiencing some pain relief today, which is much appreciated. Um I would love to be one of those runners out there. I was never a big like run. I mean, I'm a large guy. So like distance running was never going to be what I was made for. But uh, but I used to run regularly. You know, I do. I'd run like two miles, three, four times a week. That was my routine. And I loved it. It was great. Cathartic, you know, uh, just like a good, a nice, good pace. And uh, I very much miss those days, Manuel. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what I would say. Okay. I, I've become a, a treadmill person of late. What is this, October? We got a mm-hmm. treadmill mm-hmm. last Christmas. So, you know, 10, 10 months deep, I guess, 10, 11 months deep. Yeah, I like it. I, I cannot listen to podcasts when I'm on the treadmill, though. I need something way higher energy because... I don't know. Like if I'm listening to podcasts, then I'm like in my head some, and then I start to feel like, wait, I'm running. Wait, I should be tired. Wait, I am tired. Wait, I can't keep going. I'm tired. So I need some music so I could just like float and like not be in my head in that kind of way. It's hard to explain. Mm -hmm. But in any case, shout out to those of you who can um, listen to a podcast as you run. Um, Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. And also, Jeff, it's come to my attention as well that we, t- we tend to be on the same side of a lot of issues here since we are here um, discussing education and the ongoing fight for educational justice and certainly the work of humani- developing a humanizing perspective of our students and our, our, our classrooms and what we do here and, and centering marginalized voices. So we tend to be on the same side of a lot of issues. Um, however, I, I, I don't know if, if you've been paying attention, Jeff, but um, all of the above's official NFL team, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, they're headed to to Minnesota this week, Jeff, and uh, they will be playing the Minnesota Vikings on Monday nights. And you being a co-host of all of the above means that you you are you are connected to this San Francisco 49er brand that is the AOTA family. Everyone out here listening, you are informally members of Niners Nation. That's why I tell my students as well. My students uh, disagree firmly with me on that. But, you know, it is what it is. We family. We're all in it together. And our Niners are facing those Vikings, Jeff. So um, just so you know, um, we got a little beef here. We got a little beef here. 
Well, you know, under normal circumstances, Manuel, I might agree, uh, <laughs> except for the fact that my Minnesota Vikings are trash. And so <laughs> we're about to get spanked <laughs> by the Niners. It won't be close. Um, or, you know, actually in Minnesota Vikings fashion, it might be close, but it's not like there will ever be any real danger that the Vikings are going to win. So I, you know, there's no reason to have any kind of conflict over this. Like, there's nothing uncertain about what's about to happen. Like, we know. (laughs) So this is the life of a Vikings fan, Manuel, is understanding that your team is destined to disappoint you. And uh, Mm. this year, perhaps more than most. Well, I appreciate appreciate that perspective, Jeff. And um, that's it for this sports segment of Passing Period, um, (laughs) your favorite sports podcast in the education space. Um, all right, Jeff. So last passing period last week. Um, by the way, folks, we will be with you um, with a full episode next weekend. Next weekend, we have a super dope guest, um, Dr. Tanika Orange of UCLA um, Principal Leadership Institute, uh, UCLA Center X. She will be stopping by the show to talk to us about a whole host of things, but particularly uh, being a school leader, being an administrator during these like so just challenging times of like focusing on back on test scores and learning loss and such and such. Uh, and then out there in the space of like, you know, you got all the the book ban shenanigans and all that stuff. And just what is what should school leaders be doing uh, in these moments? So fascinating conversation that you definitely want to uh, check out next next weekend, even if you're not a school administrator, because I'm not. And, um, you know, getting the leadership perspective on things, I think, is uh, very, very critically important because here we are together trying to make this school system of ours um, function better than it is currently so uh definitely you want to check that out but this is a passing period and last week we also had a passing period and last week jeff we talked about a story out of um santa Ana, and um it was a story about the school district santa Ana having approved um a few courses um within the realm of ethnic studies uh courses that included content related to palestine and just the ongoing uh controversy over whether or not schools and teachers and ethnic studies should include um, lessons and materials and what have you that have students um, examine in any kind of critical way Israel and Israel's occupation of Palestine. So we had that conversation, Jeff. Um, We got some feedback. We got some responses from the AOTA family out there. And we always encourage folks to, uh, to let us know, chime in, let us know your thoughts. And, you know, I know the, that Twitter space is, is a little, little tougher now than it used to be so i'm not as engaged on the twitter space but we did get uh some feedback via twitter and we also got some feedback via our website uh our website aotashow.com there's a little tab there where you could uh, contact us through the website um or of course you could you know shoot us a dm on any of the socials where you happen to uh to see us or whatever works man whatever works and uh jeff we thought we'd spend some time for today's passing period uh, talking about some of the uh, commentary we received back from listeners, and then uh, then we got another story, um, tr- actually a truly truly uh, controversial story out of California about uh, kids' handwriting, uh, which we'll talk about, Jeff. So uh, how about we start <laughs> with uh, this man? The 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 handwriting wars, Jeff. They are they are coming. They are on their way. Hope you're prepared. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, all right, Jeff. Um, Let's uh let's just jump into it, man. Um, 
I think the first response that we got was the Twitter um, shout out. So let's talk about that first. Um, shout out to Amal on Twitter. Um, I want to say I got some feedback from Amal before because I may have intentionally or unintentionally called the Inland, Inland Empire Dusty. Because it is. It is a dusty uh, region of Southern California. And I, I meant no disrespect. I meant no disrespect there. Um, you know, but for folks who don't live in California, um, you know, obviously living in Los Angeles is, is very expensive. So the the regions just east of Los Angeles have have grown in population over, over the last several decades. And those regions tend to be really dry and uh really brown like there's not a lot of uh green uh there's not a lot of foliage and such and um i don't know man they just i just think dust when i'm out there uh my dad lived in reno <laughs> valley i spent a lot of summers <laughs> i spent a lot of summers in 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 the in the inland empire and uh my dad was in reno valley my my stepmom um when they were just dating she was living in ontario so that's where i spent my summers in between reno valley and ontario and i have dusty memories of um just it, it just wasn't rivers and trees like I was used to in Sacramento where I grew up. But uh, apologies to the Inland Empire folks. Uh, shout out to them all for sticking with all of the above, despite a co-host calling the Inland Empire dusty. Um, so Jeff, she um, she responded or she posted last week. Um, she says, "quote uh, a brief pause to shout out um, Jeff and Manuel of all of the above." This weekend for walking through the insidious relationship between Orientalist tropes being weaponized about Palestine this week in the watering down of ethnic studies education in California. Um, so shout out to them all for listening to that uh, conversation and for uh, shouting us out and helping boost the show to uh, to folks out there on the internets, especially folks who are um, on the side of supporting ethnic studies and uh developing and continuing to uplift uh, ethnic studies that is humanizing and critically conscious and inclusive of marginalized perspectives um, above and beyond um, just the quote unquote how the state referred to the uh, the four original um, lenses of ethnic studies being um, black Americans and Chicano studies and indigenous studies and uh, Asian American studies. Um, but reaching above and beyond and in being inclusive of um, helping students critically examine issues, including uh, the Israeli occupation of Palestine. So shout out to them all. Jeff, any thoughts about um, about that before we dip into a longer um, comment that we received from a listener? Yeah, I just want to say, first of all, it is one of the single greatest things about doing this show is getting the moments of connection with people in the audience. Because, you know, a lot of times we put out this show and it's not like we're, you know, super big time or whatever. So, you know, it it's sometimes it can feel like you're just sort of talking into the void and you're unsure, like who's actually listening and how things that you said that might be a little bit, you know, um, controversial in some way or that might be pushing the envelope in some way, um, how those things are received by people. 
And so it's just really lovely and wonderful to um, to engage with folks. And I know Amal is someone who has engaged with us in the past. I think I missed the chapter of you insulting uh, the Inland Empire, Matt. Well, but that's that's funny, because honestly, all of Los Angeles, all of Southern California, frankly, in the literal sense, is dusty. Is I that I is true. Constantly is true. sweeping and wiping, the, you know, the patio furniture outside and window frames. Like it's nasty out here. Uh, so, <laughs> anyways, back to the point. Um, I appreciate I'm all you listening. I appreciate the the solidarity on the points we are making, and it's great to know that there are other people out here that are thinking about the same things and wanting to engage in the discussion about it. So, I just love it and appreciate you, Amal, for for uh, just being a great. Um, a great member of our audience. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And we also want to shout out um, another AOTA family member who chimed in on last week's discussion, uh, Joshua Rosenberg. Um, when I when I replied to him, Jeff, I, I called him Rocky Top. Are you are you familiar with Rocky Top, Jeff? I suppose I am. Yes. How did uh, how did Joshua respond to being called Rocky Top out of nowhere? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I called him Rocky Top, but like I began oh, okay. my response with Rocky Top <laughs> exclamation points because um, I don't get, I don't encounter a lot of folks um, connected to uh, Rocky Top, so I was like, "Yo, that's Rocky Top." I saw it in the the email address, but um, yeah, no, nice. no, no response from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let me read a message uh, sent in by uh, by Joshua. Uh, again, shout out Joshua for uh, chiming in. Uh, I'm gonna read this message. Uh, Word by word, uh, quote it. All right, so I'm a longtime fan. I appreciated your recent show. I could be biased, but I thought you could have approached the Israeli and Jewish perspective with more nuance. You discussed the need to consider critically, uh, consider and critically evaluate the experiences of many groups, but this also extends to Jews. Israel was created after the Holocaust, where millions of people were gassed and shot. The language from Arab countries was always and remains for some. Uh, that the Jews should be pushed into the sea. Tolerance is short on the side of many in the Middle East. One possibly rich angle concerns how a group historically without power ends up with power, but is still not welcome in what is their state. This is part of the complexity that I think you could have embraced a bit more uh, in the show. Uh, we'll continue to listen and uh, continue to share with colleagues. That's uh, end quote there. Uh, that's uh, highly recommend all AOTA family members do that that part of, of sharing with colleagues. Uh, I love that. Um, and um, Joshua also mentioned in a, a following uh, follow up message that um, he is Jewish with family and friends in Israel and wrote from a place of concern about Israelis, but that he is also very sympathetic with the oppressive conditions that the people in Gaza and the West Bank live under. So Jeff, what are your um, your thoughts about uh, Joshua's message to us about last week's conversation about uh, Palestine and Israel and ethnic studies and, and all of that. Yeah. Well, I have a few layers of thoughts, Manuel. And the first one is honestly uh, some gratitude because I, I'm going to keep it real uh, for me, Manuel. I was a bit worried um, putting out the episode we put out last week. Um, not worried from the from the lens of I felt like anything that I said or that we said was wrong. Um, or that I wouldn't, that isn't true to my, you know, sort of moral compass in the world and how I understand things. And also, I know that um, 
you know, there there are powers that be uh, in this world who would who could take some of our words that were expressed last week and weaponize those against us in some way. Or, you know, there, there it is not uncommon that people would be engaged with in a hostile manner, um, having said what we said uh, last week, which was, um, you know, which was speaking uh, critically about the the sort of weaponization of anti-Semitism in the ethnic studies debate here in California and the attempt to silence discussion about Israeli occupation and apartheid and now genocide uh, that's taking place in in particular in Gaza, but also, you know, uh, to Palestinian people generally speaking in that part of the world. And so... Um, so, you know, there was some some trepidation there. It took some courage, I feel like, not to pat ourselves on the back, but to to do what we did and say what we said. And I really appreciate uh in particular someone who is uh who is Jewish engaging with us constructively and respect, respectfully. And um and I say that not as a um presumption that someone wouldn't, but it it just means a lot to me on a personal level that someone would take the time to write this message and uh, share an aspect of their identity and how they're thinking about it and like want to actually engage in the discussion. And in a social media world where there's so much just bickering and you don't even know if you're talking to a human being and stuff like that, uh, this was refreshing. Um, so first of all, props to you, Josh. Thank you. Um, for engaging with the show and for engaging with us, especially on a topic that, you know, we may have a different perspective on. So that's kind of layer one. Layer two for me is um, I think the concern that Josh is expressing is not, you know, is, is a common one, right? Um, that is uh, the worry that, um, that, uh, or, or the sense of vigilance around like wanting to make sure that the humanity of Jewish people and that the horrific events of the past um, are not uh, that we don't repeat the kinds of conditions that led to the um, to the Holocaust happening. Right. Which is sort of growing tides of anti-Semitism, dehumanization of Jews, spreading of tropes about them, you know, that that escalates from that kind of rhetoric to now you have to wear a Star of David on your shirt and now we're going to round you all up in ghettos and now we're going to try to kill you all, right? And like, this is not a hypothetical. This is obviously stuff that really happened and in relatively recent human history. And so the, the vigilance around that, I think, is totally understandable. Um, and there is, and this is kind of like layer three, maybe for me, Manuel, there is, as I think about this through the education lens, and we're going to try to, you know, con continue to talk about this topic through the lens of what our show is about, not just a general discussion of, uh, of sort of global affairs issues. You have lots of places where you can go for that, but, um, but through the lens of education, um, I, there is something about, the the argument that we have to um, anytime we're talking about Palestinians and anytime we're talking about Israeli occupation, that we have to sort of um, have a both sides conversation like this is, um, you know, there there's like a um, uh, there's something about it, Manuel, that reminds me of the all lives matter 
uh, crowd when, you know, several years ago when there was, you know, the sort of racial uprisings and, and coming out of Ferguson and all that, um, the folks who immediately opposed Black Lives Matter with the rhetoric of All Lives Matter. And the reason I say that is that there is there's something about this that seems to be a disingenuous attack, which is um, which in the Black Lives Matter case was like nobody who is in in the Black Lives Matter movement or Black Lives Matter at school or any of those spaces was out here talking about other people don't matter. In fact, one could argue we're the only people who actually were out here arguing that all lives do matter. But the problem was, you know, at least in many cases, uh, <laughs> the, the the it was already well established that white lives, for exact, for example, matter. We have curricula on curricula on mainstream media source on mainstream media source that will teach you formally and informally about the humanity and the worth and the dignity of white people and those people. Right. Um, and we had a, a like so many counterexamples towards black people. And so the point of the conversation is not to draw the false equivalency between Black Lives Matter and uh, and other lives don't matter, but to say, hey, we need space in this conversation to have the conversation about the value and the worth and the humanity and the dignity of black people. And I think that analogy, which maybe will be helpful for people in, in understanding this, uh, it's kind of where my mind goes. Um, there's something very familiar about that analogy when we think about the way that um, that we discuss issues relating to Palestine and Israel in school, which is to say, Manuel, that there I think it is fair to say and I will not say that that we had that everything is perfect per se, but it's fair to say that we have very well established um, aspects of the curriculum in the United States in uh, for sure, for certain. In social studies classes, uh, meaning uh, especially U.S. history and world history classes, and also in English classes um, throughout the K-12 curriculum, but especially at the secondary level, where the humanity of Jewish people, the humanity of folks who eventually would become Israelis, uh, is centered in the curriculum, right? Um, just some some examples, right? There are texts that are now like definitely just part of the canon in ELA classes across this country. Texts like the Diary of Anne Frank, texts like um, Night, texts like uh, the graphic novel Mouse, um, and others. And you could even argue that there are other texts that tell the precursor, that tell sort of the narrative about like, how did we get to Nazi Germany and the insanity of of that regime, you know, things like All Quiet on the Western Front or, you know, many aspects of this sort of early 20th century history that gets taught in English classes and in, in history classes that is also contextualizing how did we how did this horrible genocidal regime come to power and how did their how were they allowed to do what they did? Right. Um, and so and then, of course, there's films that also I, I think are, it's fair to say, have like permeated the national consciousness. Uh, you know, Schindler's List, of course, comes to mind. Um, but there are others um, as well that tell the story of 
um, this chapter of human history, the, the shameful aspects of this chapter of human history and the resilient aspects of this chapter of human history. And of course, it is not enough to say that like telling Holocaust history is the telling the fullness of Jewish history. Um, that is that is not my point. But my point is to say in the same way that the All Lives Matter crew was leveling a, a disingenuous attack against the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I think there is something to say that that says the issue we are having in our in this nation's public schools right now is not that we have not we have no examples of the humanity of uh, Jewish people and the humanity of Israelis being taught or being centered in any way in the curriculum. Um, we actually do have examples of that. Now, we can debate whether we have enough examples of that, but we have examples of that. And I think it's fair to say that apart from the most progressive educational spaces or perhaps parts of the country where um, Arab and Muslim students uh, and, and people are a majority and maybe they have exercised more collective power to shape curriculum in some ways, um, I think it's fair to say we have virtually no examples uh, in the in the curriculum in school that centers the humanity of Palestinians and that centers the humanity more generally of, of Arabs and Muslims. And, and again, I know it's complex. There are, there are examples out there, but I don't know that we've reached the same sort of parity in terms of how we talk about the humanity of Palestinian people. And the, the danger of that is when you layer on top of that the discourse in the national media then we get what we're seeing right now, Manuel, which is, um, you know, this, the sort of mainstreamification of openly genocidal rhetoric about uh, Palestinian people. And that is, I, th I think, is just morally unacceptable. And, and we should not, um, you know, we as educators have a duty to not support and sustain um, a, a type of discourse and a set of conditions that would allow that type of thing to continue. And so, I, you know, so I, in as much as I am, am very appreciative for Josh engaging, um, I, for me, I think the, the spirit of the conversation we had last week uh, is, to me, is about responding to some of the real conditions we, you know, we have around us, um, which is to say that the, the urgent need we are facing is the dehumanization um, of Palestinians and the uh, perpetuation of an apartheid state that is taking place um, in Israel right now and um, and the escalation through, you know, actual warfare now of, of this becoming a, a, you know, a campaign of genocide. And um, and I think it's fair to say that if the tables were turned, you know, we would be saying the same thing right now about Jews. We would be saying the same thing about whichever group we're experiencing this type of oppressive system. Um, and I think it's a, it's a nuanced but important distinction to say that not only um, to say that we can both have this kind of conversation that's critical about what the Israeli government and military are doing right now and that we stand by and uphold the humanity of Jewish people and that and that we can also guard against 
any sort of creep of conversations that are critical of Israel towards the historic types of conversations that, you know, Jewish people and many people who just believe in justice and righteousness um, would rightfully be very concerned about reascending in this in this world, right? The types of anti-Semitism that led to the Holocaust in the first place. So that that meant well, I think is my multi-layered response um, to Josh. It's like gratitude. And I think there's, you know, there's something here that's like an all lives matterification that we can't let happen. And um, there's there is a moral duty, I think we have as educators to um, in this moment, given everything that's happening and given the conditions around us to elevate and center the humanity of Palestinian people um, in the face of a of a very violently oppressive state regime right now. And um, and we can do that without descending into tropes of anti-Semitism. Yeah. Well, that was a very, very well stated response there, Jeff. Uh, very thoughtful. Um all lives matterification. I'm, I'm putting that. I'm putting that in the vocab bank. Uh, the all lives matterification. That's I got. I got to practice enunciating that one. But um. But yeah, I I, I thought some similar thoughts. I uh, you know just brief, very briefly here. Um. Yeah. The, the you know he thanked us for creating space for differing views, and I think you know obviously that's that's critically important. And he wrote that um. We discussed the need to critically evaluate the experiences of many groups, but this also extends to Jews, and just as a history teacher by trade, you know, I've caught myself over the last several years, like resisting the urge to feel like I have to like prove to folks who are like critiquing ethnic studies or what have you that like, like that I, you know, I'm not anti-Semitic and, and to prove to folks that like I, uh, you know, cover the Jewish experience. Cause it's like, I, I, as a world history teacher and U.S. history teacher for so many years, like so much of the content that, that you just pointed out, you know, um, night in the diary of Anne Frank, but, uh, so much other other content and experiences that I've um, helped cultivate with my students over the years, like the Jewish experience and a humanizing lens of Jewish uh, peoples has been a, a bedrock of, of my courses for, for a very long time. And I, I fight the urge to always have to say that because it's like, I shouldn't have to say that. Like it should, you know, it, it should go without, without saying that like uh, the Jewish experience, particularly around, you know, particularly around, but not exclusively limited to um, the rise of Nazism and, and the uh, development of um, the multi-year development of what becomes the Holocaust and the aftermath of it. Like that is uh, very, very fundamental in, in any world history class, but also in US history, and particularly looking at um, U.S. involvement from War One to in, the in between years and War Two, uh, but in any case, you know, uh, teacher in Southern California, we've gone to the Museum of Tolerance so many times. My students, my Black and Brown students, have heard from multiple uh, Holocaust survivors on our trips to the Museum of Tolerance. Shout out the Museum of Tolerance and all the wonderful PD that they offer uh, that I've been part of here and there, um, and you know, of course, a lot of other content that I won't you know spend the whole passing period citing and naming, but a lot of that has been there and. In my recollection of my last 20 years, um, certainly the the Arab experience, the Arab American experience has been much more limited in being included in curriculum and even my own curriculum. And I'm way on the you know, closer to the end of uh, to the side of 
progressive education educators than than most social science teachers and even i would like have to sit here and really think and ponder about like the different uh, materials and lessons and and experiences that that we've had in my classes over my 20 years i should say uh particularly in be before i was even teaching ethnic studies um where the palestinian experience specifically or the arab experience more generally was was included and when it came down to the ethnic studies model curriculum and and what happened and and how uh, it got bogged down with claims of it being anti-semitic and and all of these things like it just really broke my heart to see accusations of it being anti-semitic for even veering into the territory of critically examining the state of israel and to see the our state leadership stand up and say like yeah we 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 need to focus on the four main groups and that doesn't include arab americans and to, to strip the curriculum of humanized perspectives of of arab peoples it just really broke my heart because it's like i know teachers have materials that they could reach for for um bringing in jewish voices and bringing in jewish art and jewish poetry and jewish stories and narratives i know teachers have that but i don't think teachers have like just the the, the average teacher out there in California, the average social science teacher out there in California, I don't think they have a lot of materials that they could reach for for bringing in um, humanizing views of, of Arab peoples. And especially in the wake of, of the huge uh, the huge rise in, in Islamophobia after 9-11 and just that whole era, like you would think we'd have a lot of materials by now to address um, to include the Arab American perspective, the Arab perspective period, because it's like, clearly we had problems. Clearly a lot of people were being killed in hate crimes across the US uh, in the wake of 9-11, yet here we are still with, with not a lot of that present. So it really broke my heart to see ethnic studies curriculum, which was a wonderful opportunity to bring in uh, those perspectives and materials to see it just like stripped because like, boom, anti-Semitic if you're doing that. So that really broke my heart. So I would I would say to, to Joshua and to everybody out there, uh, for sure, uh, I think every teacher out there could do um, a more holistic job of bringing in multiple perspectives of the Jewish experience above and beyond just the Holocaust, for sure. Um, but I would say to Jeff, your point, like a lot of at least that element of the Jewish experience, the element of the Holocaust and um, and all that came after, like that is for sure canon in a lot of classrooms across the U.S. And those experiences are included. And when teachers reach for including other perspectives, then they always run the risk of being labeled anti-Semitic because how could you, how could you bring that in? And that's what we're seeing in Santa Ana, who, you know, boldly developed these ethnic studies courses that were inclusive of um, Palestine and you know, the critique, the pushback against them about like, oh, that's going to be, you know, that's going to give way to anti-Semitism. That's going to give way to a, a narrow view of Jewish peoples. I could say for a fact, my black and brown students, they're not walking away with a narrow view of Jewish peoples if if we talk about Israel, because like they've gotten a, 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 so many different um, materials and experiences presenting a holistic, humanizing view of Jewish peoples. And they for sure know, because when done well, students will be able to point out the difference between criticizing a state of power and its decisions and its policies regarding its own people and others versus like an entire community. And ethnic studies is the perfect place to help students explore the value and perspective of different communities and distinguish between communities and 
power and oppression and states. And we cannot allow a, a education to exist in a world where we can't critically examine a state. Like we critically examine the United States. We can critically examine Israel. We could critically examine, um, you know, Spain, where we're talking about colonialism and its impact on um, uh, a lot of my students uh, come from Mexico and Central America, and we could critically examine all of that. So, you know, I'll just leave it at that. I, a lot more I could say. Oh, also, our, our governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, uh, he was just in Israel yesterday. So I think, like, students get that perspective a lot, Jeff. They, Like you said, in the media, in the materials, they do get those voices and those perspectives, but they don't get the other. They're not going to see photo ops of Gavin Newsom with Palestinian leaders or Palestinian people, period. They're just not going to see that. And that's not even a, a security issue. Like, there's Palestinians here in California. Like, you're not going to see those photo ops because, you know, the, yep. the voices aren't balanced yep. and ethnic studies helps bring balance. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Manuel. And one thing I'll just add to it, which we did mention in the last episode, and I, I would be curious to hear the perspective on this point of someone like Josh. But um, I think, honestly, Manuel, what is also being suppressed in some of the, you know, the stuff we were talking about last time around the, the kind of um, weaponization of anti-Semitism to of accusations of anti-Semitism to suppress ethnic studies and 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 the inclusion of, you know, discussions of Israel and Palestine uh, critically in that curriculum is also the suppression of Jewish voices who are opposed to the occupation and Jewish voices who are who are right now out in these streets, marching in Washington, D.C., getting arrested in the Capitol Rotunda, uh, lobbying their Congress people um, and who are uh, advocating for at minimum, a ceasefire, and then also uh, many others who are advocating for, uh, you know, an end to the occupation and a just solution, right? And so, uh, and that's just here in the United States, let alone the marches that are happening around the world, which also have Jewish people participating in them or leading them in many cases, and the Jewish people in Israel who, who are journalists, who are advocates, you know, and pushing the same thing. They might be a minority voice. Um, within Israel and maybe within the Jewish community here in the United States as well. But that is a voice that I think is also extremely important uh, that that needs to be told. Right. Um, and that is, I think sometimes when folks say things like, you know, the we are going to talk about Jews as like a monolith uh, in this equation, I, I think we absolutely should not. And we should tell the stories of, of Jews who are fighting and advocating for a just solution here and who are opposing oppressive, you know, actions of their government. And frankly, that should seem familiar to, to those of us in the United States. That should be a, like, a, a reality that we can relate to. Uh, you know, I remember before the Iraq war, you know, started in two, was it 2003? Um, you know, I was in the streets outside the United Nations protesting, you know, the cops with snipers all around us on the buildings. I mean, crazy, you know, cops on horses riding through the crowd, crazy stuff, right? Um, I, I know, and I know so many in this country, we know well what it is like to live in a country where our government does not do the things that we want it to do and instead carries out a violent, oppressive 
you know, imperialist attack on another set of people. Now, obviously, the conditions are are different, but that the idea that a group of people could have a principled moral stance and their government could oppose that that stance and do horrible things anyways and use propaganda to carry it out and all that kind of thing. And that many people would sit by and just idly watch and other peoples would oppose it and become targets of, of repression in some ways. That should also be a familiar story and an important, you know, um, angle on things to explore with, uh, you know, with Jews who are who are opposing the actions of their government and I mean, of the Israeli government um, and Israelis within the country and also Jews in the diaspora around the world. So um, I think there's a lot there that also can be told if we go there in the discussion. If we don't go there, if we just stay in the like mainstream, you know, kind of pro uh, Israel occupation perspective that that certainly dominates the national discourse and is the words we hear from our president and that sort of thing, um, then we are silencing all of those voices. And so I think we have a duty and a responsibility to to not do that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, just want to, you know, remind folks that ethnic studies is a wonderful, humanizing, loving space to help students grapple with not just this particular issue, but just human conflict and, and um, power and oppression generally. And, you know, right now, whereas in my ethnic studies students, they were just reading uh, chapter two of um, Sakaki's uh, Different Mirror and um, seeing the connections between the dehumanization of Irish people um, from Engl uh, English, England's colonization of Ireland and the dehumanizing language that English were using towards the Irish and how so much of that transferred over to um, the early colonies and the English dehumanizing native peoples here. And like students are learning about like the power of language and, and the role of like having building dehumanizing views of others as a way to justify violence against them, oppression against them. And like students are learning these things so that they could spot it so that like as they become you know as they uh, go off into this world like they're going to be able to spot and call out dehumanizing language used against jewish peoples or dehumanizing language used against uh palestinians and arab peoples and it's important that we help students identify that because otherwise they're just going to be floating on this internet seeing all kinds of nonsense and and developing very hateful views that might manifest into some of the violence that we've seen tar uh, targeting uh jewish people in uh, the tree of life synagogue or or targeting Man, that poor young Palestinian kid in Chicago who was killed. Like we, man, we got to build humans that are able to view each other with humanizing lens and be able to interrogate and call out whenever hate and bigotry is taking hold in a community, in a place, in a person. So ethnic studies is a place for that. We can't just shut down those conversations and ignore them and talk about like, well, that's over there. What's that got to do with us? We should focus on local. Like no more excuses, man. We got to come together as a people. Um, except, Jeff, except... There's no coming together on this next issue, Jeff, um, kids and how they write. Um, a war is brewing, <laughs> Jeff, and I just want to say I am firmly in the camp of I don't like I don't like this bill. I don't like this legislation. I ain't with it, Jeff. Uh, so we're going to pivot now to something that's happening in California. And we definitely want to hear from anybody outside of California about how this might be taking shape in your area. But um, some new legislation was introduced 
Jeff, um, that will affect how young kids learn to write. Jeff, let's talk about it, man. What's kooky, crazy California up to now? Yeah, this is this is what we call a hard pivot, folks. Uh, from, hard pivot <laughs> from deep global existential human rights to uh, to cursive. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's funny, man. Well, I was trying to think back. We've had so many episodes now. I'm I'm pretty sure we have talked about this issue on the show like a couple of times before. But I also can't remember exactly when and how, because, uh, you know, we've been at this for like seven years now. So it's, you know, we got uh, more than 200 episodes of various types and uh, it's hard to keep it all in mind. But I will say, Manuel, my very uh, sort of um, firm belief, I would say, on the issue of teaching cursive in school is that this is a stupid idea and we need to let cursive go. Uh, there are things that are traditional things that we should continue to teach kids, even if there is newer technology and even if, you know, there are more efficient ways of doing things and, you know, in some ways, like I think we should continue to teach kids how to use analog clocks, even though there are many digital clocks in the world. Um, I think we should continue to teach kids how to do long division on paper with a pencil even though there are calculators on every smartphone and every computer and just plain old calculators available in almost every math class in the country. Um, there are lots of traditional things that still hold great value. Cursive is not one of them, man. It's just, it's just <laughs> not. Cursive was a technology that existed in an era when there were no other uh, technologies that were at all comparable available to create text, to in theory, to be able to write faster. But let's be real. What cursive also creates is largely illegible writing, or maybe illegible is too strong, but like hard to read writing. And it takes a lot of time and energy to teach kids how to write cursive. And it's freaking useless. <laughs> like, it means nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it is great if you could read the original text of the Declaration of Independence or something like that. Like, that's cool. As a history teacher, you know, former history teacher, that resonates with me. And I'm like, honestly, this isn't this. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, we... We also don't teach kids by default Latin anymore, even though there's like lots of old texts that I'm sure, you know, or like, I don't know, Aramaic or these like other ancient languages like uh, or I mean, I guess some of these are present languages, but you know what I mean? Um, like we evolve in, in different ways. And I feel like this is kind of like that. They're like. Sorry, cursive is not useful anymore. Almost all the text the kids engage with in school is print text anyways. And um, there is nothing wrong. There's also like a weird class judgment or something about people. Like if they don't write in cursive or something, there's just something elitist about it, which, which doesn't sit right with me. So cursive is old. It's not as good as print. It's harder to read. It takes a ton of time and energy to teach kids, and we shouldn't do it anymore. And the idea that these legislatures are taking time to, like, and our tax dollars to try to make this happen, 
just feels to me like, dude, we got real problems, yo. We got real problems in the world. This is not one of them. Stop with the cursive, please. Well, Jeff, they're not trying to make this happen. I should specify, this was a signed into law last week. I don't know if, if you mentioned that. I might have missed it. but um, No, I it missed was introduced that part. By, it was. Yeah, no. Oh, nah, my goodness. A new oh, bill that requires first through sixth graders to learn cursive was signed into law last week by Governor Gavin Newsom. I suppose he signed that right before he took off to Israel. Uh, here we are, oh California goodness. governor. <laughs> so uh, he, he, yeah, he signed that into law. Assembly Bill 446. Uh, it will require first through sixth grade teachers to implement some kind of cursive instruction. Um, and then it says uh, cursive instruction will be considered required learning in California, like English and math. I'm reading this off of uh, edsource.org, um, a piece by Monica Velez. Shout out to Monica. Now, uh, Jeff, importantly, so, okay, I hear you. I hear you. It seems like outdated. It's tough to read all of these things. But, Jeff, the the assemblywoman behind this bill says that actually – this has a bit to do with the threat of artificial intelligence. Uh, she pointed out that teachers might have to start giving handwritten exams because of the rise of artificial intelligence in classrooms, and cursive allows our students to write faster. So, Jeff, you don't want students to be able to do the like you know, two in-class essays in 40 minutes and go handwritten. Cursive helps you write faster and get a lot more out, I'm told. I, 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 yes, I learned how to write cursive when I was a kid, but I felt like it always slowed me down. It definitely yes, didn't help exactly. me write faster. But um, yeah, and also, uh, you know, she also says, she also points out like, you know, historical records that are written in cursive, as you, as you mentioned, um, and it being important for students to be able to, to read those and understand what they're looking at. Um, so Jeff, I, I guess you're okay with the robot apocalypse just, just taking over because cursive here could be a, a tool, a tool uh, that we can lean on. Goodness in the fight gracious. against the uh, robots rising. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I saw this. I was like, that that can't be real, right? And I didn't want to do the whole like, oh, we have all these other problems. Like, why are they going to focus on this? Because, you know, that's what people say for like a lot of things that, you know, when the Crown Act passed, for example, discrimination, discriminating against um, people in the workplace uh, because of their hairstyles. You know, I saw a lot of folks talking about like, oh, you know, California, we have we have all this homelessness. We got this and that. And, and we're writing laws about hair. Like, well, you know, so I didn't want to be one of those voices when I saw the, the cursive headline. I didn't want to be one of those, you know, oh, we got all these problems and we're going to, you know, pass a law about cursive. But still, like, it's cursive. Like, really? We're going to pass a law about cursive? Like, what the hell? That's That's wild to me. And I do think any parents who who want their young people to learn cursive like i am sure there are great youtube videos i'm sure there's great instruction online that you could just park your kid in front of and like teach them cursive yourself i don't think we need to use school time for that uh you know in, in my personal opinion and um yeah, I just agree with you. It's it's outdated. I think this is just about nostalgia. I think this is a, a lot to do with how things were when we were in school. And, you know, we need to bring some of that back. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I mentioned buying a digital clock for my classroom because more and more students can't read the hands on a regular clock because they're so used to just seeing the numbers on their phone or um, their Apple watches that like they can't, they don't, they can't read the dial. So I just caved in and got a digital clock. I'm not going to I'm not going to say like we got to get back to teaching kids how to read clocks and we got to you know reinforce that like hey if it's a disappearing thing it's a disappearing thing we can't hold on to the past because like it's it's not serving us well and those nostalgic feelings about how things used to be 
tend to just focus on the positive and not the negative. And it's like, what more? I could have been doing some some dope stuff instead of being forced to learn how to write cursive on that little cheap-ass, sorry-ass paper that they used to have us write on that you can never erase on without tearing. Like, I could have been learning about how to change the world, and instead I was, was struggling worst. with that paper. I'm just saying. That, that paper was trash. Why, why oh, did man. we have to use that paper? I guess it was an economics thing. I guess it was. It was I'm just, sure it was cheap. And it had the, oh. you're talking about the paper that had the little dash line in the middle of the line. Yeah, the so little you could blue like, lines. On, yeah. You, you could get your lowercase letters to the right height or whatever. And I'm sure that's yep, probably that's helpful, paper. you know, and stuff. But like. God, man, this is one of those things, Manuel, where I'm like, honestly, I'm first of all, I'm sorry. You sent me this article and it's literally the first sentence that's like it was signed into law. I think my mind just like blocked it out. And I just thought this was a bill because it's a very short article. I just thought it was a bill right. and like it maybe it'll die. Like the idea. I don't know how many votes it takes. Uh, I should probably know this to pass a bill in the California State Assembly and the California State Senate. But the idea that that many of these folks like got enough energy to do this when they can't do so many things that actually matter. Like, can we get some health care for everybody? Can we get like. I don't know, uh, you know, like cops to stop killing us in these streets. Can we get housing for homeless people? Can we get like, I don't know, clean water You're and clean too much, air? <laughs> and y'all are out here spending You're time on cursive, much. dude. Come on, bro. This is just, just you such know a waste our, of time. Our politicians have been purchased, Jeff. They are bots. And big paper, big paper, whatever corporations are behind that cheap ass paper that we we're just talking about, big paper oh, pushed for its, um, you know, so they invested heavily in the lobbying behind this, I am sure. And big paper convinced our, our representatives to go ahead and put cursive back in there because, or, or, you know, there might be some Silicon Valley startup that has like some like way to like teach cursive on like ipads and stuff and they you know they, money talks man money talks somebody's yeah. behind putting this up there i i don't believe that this is just about like concern over ai and kids will have to be writing you know more handwritten stuff because of ai and oh you know if they're going to be handwriting they need to write in cursive because it's faster i don't buy that man there's money behind no. this either some some startup that has some app to teach cursive writing or or big paper maybe they saw this as their last the last way that they could survive and remain in our elementary schools by uh, forcing teachers to uh, teach cursive. It's the wild, sad Jeff. Thing, the wild sad world. thing is that everything you just said, I feel like there was a tinge of, of like sarcasm in there, uh, satire just a in little there, bit. and also not, not too much. everything that you said is like, could just be facts for real. Like, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I don't know who owns paper. It's probably like the Koch brothers or something. And they probably are out here cutting checks. Like we got to bring back cursive. Yep. This is how we're going to regain market share or whatever. So yep. good. Ugh. Oh, God, can we please have a government that does good things for education instead of dumb things? I just <laughs> I know people are working hard man. and trying hard, but come on, man. Come on, man. This is not helpful. That's yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And, you know, maybe we're missing something. So, you know, I, I kind of always hesitate to criti uh, to criticize legislation that, you know, I don't, I don't I didn't read up on and I don't know the whole background and story behind it. So, like, maybe there's something there that I'm missing, but 
Uh, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. This is just trash. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. All bad. Well, Jeff, um, I do. Before we uh, wrap it up here, I do just want to shout out one of my favorite principles, man. I've been rewatching The Simpsons, and um, I, you know, Principal Skinner. Um, I don't think he'd be considered a highly effective uh, school administrator, school leader, Jeff. But uh, I was watching an episode, and he was like on a date with uh, one of Marge's sisters. And um, the busboy at the restaurant was like a former student. Um, and uh, he was like messing up or something. And Principal Skinner was like trying to look all big and bold in front of his date. And uh, he said, uh, nearly 30 and still working as a busboy. Standardized testing never lies. And I just thought that was so hilarious. Because um, like <laughs> all the way back, all the way back in the 80s, um, being able to see like the and make fun of and joke about standardized testing and the trajectory um, that um, students might be on as a result of or as a reflection of their test scores. So standardized testing never lies, Jeff. That boy was far below basic and look at him, nearly 30, working as a busboy. Well, if he had learned cursive, Manuel, he'd probably be thriving. Exactly. Exactly. Shoot. All right, Jeff, anything else before we wrap it up? Nah, man. Ready to rock. Um, appreciate our amazing All the Above family out there, our audience listening and sharing your thoughts. We appreciate you. And uh, if you haven't sent us a little note about your thoughts and what we're talking about, maybe you should, because you never know. We might just turn it into a whole episode like we did today. So come Boom. talk to us, people. We're out here in these online streets. The DMs are open. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I don't know if the microphone picked it up. I'm pretty sure the Zoom microphone did not, but the actual microphone that we use to record these passing periods. Uh, my dogs have been going crazy for the last like 20 minutes because somebody's outside uh, working on some stuff. And uh, if you are a pet owner, you know that if you have dogs, if uh, anything's happening outside or if the doorbell rings, then um, clearly the whole house is under attack. So my dogs have been going crazy. Apologies if you hear that in the background. You may or may not. I don't know. Um, they're nice dogs though they just sound very vicious when somebody's outside all right folks that about does it for this week's passing period we hope everybody is doing reasonably well as well as can be expected with so much going on if you are listening to this on your commute to work shout out to you we hope we have you have a lovely week if you're listening on the weekend shout out to you we hope you are getting some good uh self-care resting relaxation time or something like that all right but we will be back at you next week with a full episode all right featuring dr tanika orange of ucla so um stay tuned for that but now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class oh remember we love y'all now get to class